Welcome to this session and, and welcome to Freshers Week, uh, the start of every academic year sees a new cohort of usually fresh-faced undergrads starting out on their academic journey and it's that time where the staff design sessions and activities geared towards helping students settle in to avoid pitfalls and generally navigate their way through the beginnings of student life. So I wanted to focus on that today and stimulate some conversation to allow my esteemed colleagues who've joined me to offer some advice for students embarking on a degree this year, which will also hopefully be of some interest and use to those teaching students. So if you're a student or a member of staff who's teaching students, hopefully there will be something of interest for you today. So this is for my own students and the staff I work alongside and hopefully it's of use as a resource also for other people. So everyone contributing today is a member of the Football Collective, a body that stimulates and shares research and applied practice in football. And those involved in today's session teach or study business, management, media and or sociology, social sciences, often with an applied context of sport and football. But hopefully some of the lessons and applications will extend beyond those disciplinary connections. So, Today, I've got the privilege of welcoming some of the very best in the business, people I know and love and respect for who they are and how they operate in their universities. So firstly, we've got Dr. Dan Parnell, uh, the co-founder of the Football Collective, who's had a plethora of amazing roles in football and has worked in universities in Derby, Leeds and Manchester, and is now based at the University of Liverpool's Management School which is where I did my PhD at the same time as another of today's participants, Pete Millwood, another Liverpool PhD who's taught in Leeds and Durham and is now professor in the School of Humanities and Social Science at Liverpool John Moores University, but also joined by Dr Paddy Howey, a former colleague of mine at Liverpool Hope University, another Liverpool PhD. Paddy is a journalist and an academic based in the media department at Edge Hill University. And we also have Dr. Alex Colvin, an ex-professional footballer and a former PhD student of mine, now a recent addition at Salford University. And finally, Connor Penfold, who's a PhD student under Paul Kitchen and Paul Darby at Ulster University. Connor is in the second year of his PhD, having done a master's at York University and before that was one of my undergrads at Solent University. So Alex and particularly Connor, will bring some fresh experience of what it's like to be on the other end studying for a degree. And my name's Joe Ruckler, by the way, and I'll be facilitating this session intended as conversational rather than an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts for new students. So we're going to begin by making first impressions. So I'm going to be asking Connor and before that Dan for some insights into how to approach the first week of a new degree. Freshers week, new flatmates, new staff, and new environments. Dan, let's begin with you, mate. Cheers, Joel, and, and thank you for having me on. Um, I guess one of the first things, if, you, if you've gone and joined a degree, whatever topic it is, the first thing you need to do is, is know a bit about your context. So if you're starting a sports science degree or a management degree or business degree, sociology, is you'll have something that has got you there and that passion. So Knowing your context doesn't mean knowing everything you need to know when you've finished a, a PhD or done 10 years experience. It's about, if you're into football, know the news, know the, know the transfer news, know the gossip, know what's going on. And that kind of thing is really important for just, just knowing the context when you go in for a group of people. And it's that important then for building common ground of people. So common ground is the, the things that will tie people together, help you create conversations and discussions and relationships in that those first 10 minutes, those first few hours and first few weeks. If you've got that ability to know your context, context and build common ground, you build friendships and you'll start to build relationships with people. And when we, we do build relationships, we tend to build relationships with people who are a little bit like us. So if you have that common ground of people and you know why people are in the room, so you can study that and be part of it and share that interest, that passion, that purpose, then that's a really good start for just building those connections. Brilliant stuff. Connor, nothing to add to that? Yeah, I think when you're starting a, 
a degree for the first time often it involves you moving away from home and that can be quite daunting for some people and i think one of the most important things to do is get involved with like you say some precious events um and also making sure you you know your environment in terms of your housemates or your flatmates and meeting new people and building those relationships um and make yourself feel as comfortable as possible because you're in it for the long run for the well for at least the first year anyway um i think like dan said when you meet new people often they're the ones that have shared interests and that goes for when you engage with your lecturers for the first time as well um you know often it could be simple things just just like dropping an email and those sort of things but make sure that when you do that that you're punctual in your communications with you know lecturers or um university staff members and that sort of thing um and that can just be like i say as simple as sending an email um and then when you first meet individuals say either in your class or um in your seminars and that sort of thing just make sure that you're, you're switched on and, and say top punctuality is uh, is important i think when you first meet new people some some really good points raised there i think we might get to things like email etiquette a bit a bit later on now we're going to focus on something that for everyone no matter what they study will have to do at some point at university and that is read for some people that will come naturally for others it's more pain than pleasure now paddy holly is one of the most well-read men i've ever met so i'm going to be asking him about how to approach reading now as students you will all get module guides and lecture powerpoints and at the end of them quite often there's a reading list so paddy for the students watching or listening how do you approach reading you know what do you do with those reading lists do you buy any of the books on there what are your thoughts on that i'm a great believer in if you're given a reading list and in most universities i would say you know most courses there's an expectation of reading one text per week per course there'd be a a key text might be a book chapter that's usually photocopied or nowadays it's a, P, it's a PDF that's put up on a virtual learning environment. So there's an expectation of maybe one or two pieces of reading, maximum 20 to 30 pages a week. I know that's what we do at Edge Hill in the media department. I teach cross media politics and do a bit of history as well. And I, th I think that, you know, if, if you have difficult, first of all, there's a lot about when you go to universities that isn't explained to you that we think you know, but you don't. So whenever somebody says there's an academic journal article to be read there, you don't realize the average 18 year old has absolutely no idea what you mean by an academic journal. There's lots, no, I went to university 30 years, nearly 30 years ago, 29 years ago this year at Queens. And I've got a 19 year old daughter who's going to university in the next couple of weeks. And I've never been more painfully aware of the fact that we haven't really solved any of those conundrums of explaining that kind of terminology. So the first thing I would say is before you start thinking about reading, before you start thinking about that book chapter or that journal article or even going into the library and seeing where the stuff is, first thing is, is if somebody says read that academic journal article, ask that tutor what an academic journal is. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, especially I would say on sports courses, because I know teaching media, there's a lot of particularly young men who sit at the back of classes afraid to ask for help. And they come to the middle of their second year or the start of their dissertation and don't know what a journal article is or because they've been afraid to ask for help so the first thing is ask your tutors and also ask librarians for help librarians jobs have become increasingly more distanced and they love listening to young people and are people coming and asking for help and giving you directions so that's the first thing the second thing is i would say is if you enjoy reading indulge your passions don't just read what's on your course go and get a mystery novel go and get a uh, you know a trashy football or just autobiography the more that you know those of us on this call who read about football, who are writing about football, know that it's not all journal articles and, and key books. Lots of trashy football or memoirs get, get into the bibliographies of the stuff that you're going to read. So don't be afraid not to discriminate. Read a lot, read widely, but learn to discriminate between what is the academic, the really high quality theoretical stuff, and also the stuff that's usually just written for entertainment. And then I would also say is that, you know, make space whether that's a virtual space or a time in your day where you discipline yourself to sit down and read something, or you actually go into the library at a certain period of every day, find that space that you really like. Somebody who's not on this call is Dr. Danny Fitzpatrick from Aspen University, who I often see uh, studying or, or, or researching in our library at Edge Hill. And Danny's a bit like me. He's got his own preferred spot. He loves to go and sit down and it's familiar and you get to enjoy that spot. So find a place that you're very comfortable with. And, in terms of reading, what, what you'll find out with reading, 
uh, uh, disciplining yourself to read and learning how to use the library catalog is that there's, there are two forms of knowledge that you build up. The first is the knowledge of your subject. You learn that esoteric knowledge. You learn that you know, the deep knowledge of the theory and the practices of the subject that you're learning. But then there are also skills that you learn, which are kind of basic kind of you know, utilitarian skills of just learning how to research. So that if you do leave an essay very close to deadline, you can sprint into the library and know where the sport or the sociology or the sociology of sport or the sociology of media books are, that you know how to get on to. Most academic journals are now online. You don't have to go to a dusty book on a shelf somewhere. You can learn how to find the electronic materials. But ultimately, I think, I think my ultimate thing that I have learned over 30 years of, of reading is, is that, you know, read, try and read as much as you can for enjoyment. Try and really enjoy your subject because it's something that it's, it's not a transactional thing, which is you don't pay a certain amount of money to the people that you see on this call. And at the end of three years, we give you a piece of paper. A degree, if it's done meaningfully, is something that completely transforms your life and transforms the way you look at the world. Not just the relationships that you build with people, but you build those relationships with those people around the texts and the books and the forms of knowledge that you acquire. So begin to learn to read for pleasure. Find authors that you really enjoy, you know, theorists that you really enjoy, because there are books that will change your life. That's the great thing, as I say to students, we have 20 or 30,000 books in one of our libraries, and every one of those books can potentially change your life, but they can only do so if you pick them off a shelf and read them. So really learn to respect what reading gives you. It's not a transactional process. It's something that, if done correctly and you really enjoy, has the potential to completely transform your life. Recognize that every book that you lift or every journal article or book chapter that you do will do that for you if given the chance in the right circumstances. Fantastic insight there, Paddy. And one of the, the deity R words that you mentioned is something I'm going to focus on now. And that is something else that, which is fundamental to a degree, and that's research. And particularly research methods classes where some students can approach those as thinking of them as dry and, and irrelevant. And sometimes it doesn't really help from the member of staff and their approach in that. So Professor P. Millwood, We'll come to you as one of the most active and successful researchers that any of us know. What was your research journey, Pete, briefly? And how do you think first year students, if you can think back that long, how do you think they should approach and think of research, Pete? Well, yeah, research is so important because it's the thing that sets us free. It's the thing that, that changes um, from just being a bit interested in a topic to being students and academics in a topic. We get involved in the production of knowledge in, in that. I mean, at university, most of the people who teach you, all of the people who teach you will be research active. At school and at college, you'll have had some fantastic tutors who will have been really good at being able to communicate the ideas that exist in other people's texts. At university, the people who teach you are the people who write those texts at the cutting edge of the knowledge base. So that, that's the same across sport, across sociology, across management, across history, whatever the discipline we belong to. We're at the cutting edge of that. To get there, we've all got to train in doing proper research methods. Research methods come in so many different forms. And I'm not going, going to come up with some sort of exhaustive list here. But you will encounter those across your degree. Now, sometimes, as Joel says, sometimes they may seem dry, they may seem boring. But you must think about how you apply them to what you're really interested in, because that's what sets you free. To give you some idea here, uh, my research journey, I, um, I took a BA in sociology. There were a couple of research methods modules there, one which was quantitative based, number based, one which was qualitative based. Then I did a dissertation, which I could only do that dissertation, my own piece of research, by building upon those research skills I'd accrued in those two previous modules. And then from there, I went on to study an MA in sociological research methods, a whole master's in research methods. And it was great. You know, at times it was difficult. At times there were bits where the methods weren't really for me. But overall, it was great because it equipped me to be able to undertake my own research and understand other people's research much better. At the end of that master's, one of the tasks was to write a paper, do a piece of research yourself and write it up. Now, in these days, my research wasn't 
on sport. 2003, people were beginning to use the internet more and more. So it was on the great digital divide. Why older people seem not to use the internet? And I undertook a research project, wrote it up as a paper. It got published in an academic journal. It's been cited. So that means referenced by other academics almost 200 times now. And that paper was used by the UN at one of its information age summits. So I was, even as a student, even just a couple of years on from where you are, I was beginning to push the boundaries to develop new knowledge. And only research methods can do that for you. So sometimes there'll be days, yeah, where you don't want to listen to someone like me talk about regressions mm. or any other research methods. We sometimes we unfairly pick on quantitative methods, but then it makes sense. It sets us free. It makes us academics. It makes us researchers. It makes us shape the boundaries of the knowledge that we work with. Brilliant answer, Pete. And I think also as well, everyone who's undertaken the decision to do an undergrad degree, they will have done some research on what degree to do and where to do it. So often we kind of put research methods in a, in a quite specific box and we think it doesn't apply to how we make decisions and how it informs practice and what we do in the, in the, the, the real world, if we want to call it separate to academia. So I think it's, it's important that we get to see how research methods can be applied outside of university, how, how some of those skills that we develop can help us make better decisions. Okay, one of the reasons that you read and undertake research also is to complete assessments. So to the two with the most recent experience of this, Alex and first Connor, what advice would you give to students in how they approach their assessments? I think first and foremost, it's about planning and being able to manage your time effectively uh, based on your deadlines. You're going to be set a number of deadlines based on various different assessment types, which I'll touch upon in a minute. But I think the most important thing to do is manage those and being able to prioritise which ones come first in order in terms of a the the weighting of the or the importance of the of the assessment, um, and also the type of assessment that you're going to get. So you might go through your degree and you might have a presentation next week and you might have an essay in two weeks time or maybe a practical examination something like that so i think it's important to prioritize those and make sure you know uh, to approach each one based on the deadline that you get i think spending time developing those skills based on the different types is important because some people might prefer doing presentations while others might prefer writing essays but i think it's important that you put yourself out there and make sure you put enough effort I guess into each one of those and develop your skills based on the type of assessment that you're going to face. I think also there's often I'm speaking from a particularly from a place of, of being well I mean still quite a recent undergrad it was only a couple of years ago that I actually finished it that in first year there's often this idea that it doesn't count towards your degree and I think this is a, a dangerous way to look at first year so I would try to avoid that because I think the work ethic and the practices that you develop in first year, being able to manage you know, the journal articles you read, put them in the right folders and looking after things on your, on your computer and that sort of thing. And those practices you build of, of habits of reading and writing and learning to develop presentations and then practicing those presentation skills. Those things in first year are fundamental to your outcome of your degree going forward into second and third year. So make sure you put the practice in, in the first year. And I think the rest, of the, the rest of the years will take care of themselves once you really prioritise and, and look at how important first year really is as being a university student. For some universities, first year is worth 10%, others it's worth nothing, but that's a really important point, mate. So thanks for that, Connor. Alex, anything to, to add to that? I would say that Connor's made some really good points there. And I think assessment for students is like the most nerve-wracking time as we start to look at actually what's required from the degree and why you've started the degree is really to get you know a degree at the end of it and, and assessment is the is the key part of that so i think building yourself up towards the assessments i think being strategic is is key where can you get marks looking at the marking criteria what's required and and being organized towards that and i think a key part of it well for me anyway was sort of understanding and learning how i operate or how i work best and engaging with that method of, of practice really to understand what times do I work best in what area of the library, like what Paddy said, do I work best at home in the morning, in the night? And everyone will have 
different ways of doing this and no two people will probably be the same in, in doing that. And I think that's really, really a standout point for me. And I think what Dan mentioned before about building relationships is, is super important as well. I think building relationships with your peers, with, with, with these tutors, understanding how to ask questions and not being afraid to ask questions and really applying yourself into those relationships because you'll understand people's different perspectives. There'll be a diverse group that you'll be working with and everyone will have different perspectives of how to really get the grades in them assessments. And I think understanding and building them relationships really is, is fundamental. But a key piece of advice really from me would be to be strategic, be organised and really relax and, and enjoy the, the process of, of getting them grades. And don't be too disheartened if you don't get top marks in, in the first go and it's about learning and maybe getting not so good marks and understanding how to do it better in the next attempt. Brilliant and some really useful things from you there as well Alex and I think one thing that, that stood out from that is, is the marking criteria you know if you're a student and you go into a room where students are presenting an oral presentation and I wonder if you went around the room and said what are you being marked on like what's the marking criteria how many people in that room would, would know would have based their work in preparing for that assessment on what they're being marked upon. And quite often that's something that students kind of fail to look at. So whatever the piece of assessment is, just have a think about and do some research on look at your module guides on what you're being assessed and how you're being assessed. That will be important. And just, just before Pete comes in, just, just one more thing on that uh, from what I said, which would be just know yourself in terms of how you work best. So some students really need a deadline to push themselves. So the last three or four days is when they work best. And some students panic with that and like to be really organised. And some, it's probably a bit of a continuum. But just get to know yourself in first year and how you operate best, how you're going to produce your best work and assessments and try and make a plan that fits that. Pete? Yeah, I just want to add that not passing one assessment isn't a failure. On all of your assessments, you'll get feedback. That feedback is to direct you to improve in the future. If your mark for one piece of assessment falls below the pass threshold, it really isn't the end of the world. Learn from that feedback. Don't beat yourself up with it too much, but learn from it. Ask your tutors to explain it a bit more if you don't immediately understand what that feedback says and use it as a way of growing your scholarship further. So many students will fail one assessment piece, but they'll come in with fantastic degrees at the end because they learn that they use that as part of that learning process and I just really encourage everybody not to get too excited by a fantastic mark of course be proud of it but not to get too excited and think that everything falls into place because you got one great mark and not to get too downhearted by one disappointment one mark that you don't want to have Thanks, great, point, great point Pete and, and you mentioned pride there and I think Sometimes we don't understand pride and how it can be a good thing. I think where pride does not have its basis in competition, it can be a good thing. So don't be proud of your mark because it's better than the person next to you. Be proud of it because you think it's the best work you can produce. So I would just, just add to that. Pete, I will stay at you if we can, just briefly. So at the end of most assessments or assignments, there's, there's a, a reference list required. And Pete, do you think these have to be a nightmare to create? What's, what's your secret? for embracing referencing, for creating reference lists when you do a piece of work? So it's a staple of most coursework assessments. Probably not a staple of most exams, but most coursework assessments it's a staple of. So that means essays, reports, dissertations, presentations, mm. that type of thing. And what it does is it gives some further evidence that you've been involved in reading and you're citing that reading. You know, the reading that Paddy was talking about, it shows that it gives further evidence that you're involved in that. Now, people make referencing errors all the time. Again, don't be too hung up if you make some referencing errors, first of all. On almost all courses, you'll get some guidance on how to reference. That guidance is by the book. It's how your assessments will be examined, will be marked. If you don't understand, ask a tutor. In many universities, you have like study support units. I know at John Moores, we have a whole unit across the university that's there available for all sorts of drop-in, and that runs across different programs. At other universities, it's run differently, but there's always a study skills 
support and that study skills support can help you not just with referencing but in terms of how to navigate the library which is often a frightening thing for people to do or how to critically read a bit better so it's there to help you if on your first assessments you get some feedback saying you've not quite referenced right here that feedback will often give you an example of how to reference or we'll have some further information sheets referring you to that point on the information sheet so learn from it in first year you need to paddle around you need to paddle around having a good go at referencing and learning that referencing guide but again if there are some small mistakes and you pulled up for that don't get too downhearted just learn from them thanks very much okay we'll, we'll turn now to paddy once more now you mentioned before that you're the dad of a 19 year old uh, you're like heading off to university for the first time this month and you might have a particularly useful insight into this as a result but how would you suggest a student tries to strike up the right balance between academic work and life so before i answer that question joel a couple of things are coming out about alex and, and people just said i think one of the things that i i i'm very very strongly in favor of is the idea of failure is good because we don't talk about failure we just talk about you know we try something and if it doesn't reach the standard we wanted to we learn why we didn't reach that standard and then the next time we do it or the time after that or the time after that does reach the, the standard that we're, we're thinking about there's lots of things that young people who are coming to university watching this video whether they be from sport or sociology or a media background do all the time like for instance you'd never open a video game stick it into a console and expect to play it in one go you fail multiple times with a with a video game but because the the, the, the punishment for failure in a video game is so low that we, we don't feel, we don't get let down or, or, or we feel engaged to comp comp do that. So don't be afraid to give something a go. Don't be afraid to take that difficult book down. Don't be afraid to have that difficult conversation in a seminar and be able to feel your way towards actually what you consider a success to be on that particular day of project. And the other thing is many of the people, many of your students, Joel, many of Pete's and Alex's and Dan's students, like Connor, who's a, a keen cyclist, will be keeping themselves match fit in whatever sport that they play every day. Connor's Strava is mental. You want to see it, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he covers bits of Northern Ireland I have never seen before. <laughs> the point is, is that all the way through lockdown and since he went back home, Connor has put his leg over his bike and been out on that bike every single day that he could because he loves doing it. It's not a chore to Connor. And it doesn't look like it for me now, but when I played Gaelic football and I played soccer, I played Irish schoolboy basketball, whenever I was doing these things, it was never a chore for me to throw a ball at a hoop, never a chore to put 10 balls on a, on a line and try and take free kicks. We stay match fit. Lots of young people will go to the gym now. They'll have protein shakes and they'll have an app on their phone that measures their sleep and how many times they lift repetitions. They stay match fit. What I'm saying is whenever we practice, we stay match fit. Writing and academia is also about staying match fit. That if you read, you learn to reference. If you read, you learn to write. You learn to emulate. If you play football, you want to play like Jordan Henderson or you want to play like Virgil van Dijk or you want to play like Kieran Tierney. Well, I like to write like Jürgen Habermas or Pete Millward because they're two of my favorite writers, like you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is, in terms of your work-life balance when you come to university, remember that there is a work balance that has to be there. I was a painfully immature 18-year-old when I went to university who couldn't wait to get to see the bright lights of Belfast. The bright lights of Belfast, God love me. But the point was that I think at 18 or 19, I wasn't really mature enough to make that balance. I love going to my class and I love doing the reading, but perhaps... I enjoy going out more than I should have done, particularly in my third year for a range of different reasons. But the point is, is that what I denied myself, perhaps by not going to class often enough, was to build meaningful relationships with my tutors, people who are now actually, you know, like Eamon Hughes in Belfast, like Queens, who's become like a good friend, is that there's a balance between, yet yeah, not spending all of your time in the library and not, because there are dangers of not having an outlet for everything that are getting too monomaniacal and being too focused. So I think what I'd say is, is that university is a remarkable opportunity to go and grow and learn and mature really, really quickly. Every university, again, it's not about a transaction. Don't just go to that university trying to get that bit of paper. At every, bit of, at every university, whether it's Edge Hill or JMU, or particularly University of Liverpool, which I'm very close to as also as a Liverpool graduate, there are hundreds of events that happen every year extracurricular 
or extra to your curriculum, which give you an opportunity to network with tutors, to meet other students, postgraduate students. If you forge alliances with postgraduate students, with some of your tutors, you go for a coffee and you hear those people talking about what they're doing, it will make your life a lot easier because you begin to social, it's, it's socialization theory, isn't it? You begin yeah, yeah. to think like other academics and you begin to, if you surround yourself with successful people, you have a good chance of becoming successful yourself. So what I would say is don't take it, it's not the be all and end all. I did a terrible degree and I went back and did my PhD when I was 35 when I was mature enough to do what I had to do. But I acquired the knowledge when I needed to when I was at university. Enjoy it. Go out when you want to and, and, and make those relations with people. There are those of us around this call who probably have friends from, uni my, some of my oldest friends are my friends from university. But also remember that not work balance, it's not just about going to classes, but it's about getting a meaningful experience at university, which is taking in extracurricular events and broadening your own knowledge and challenging yourself. Go to things that you mightn't have gone to. If you see a huge academic name, whether it's Jordan Peterson or Noam Chomsky, well, go to it. It's probably going to be free and you're going to get something out of every one of those events. So try and take as much from university as you can. Sorry, Joel, I'm not going on, but I always say it's a bit like Alan Partridge when he lived in the Travel Tavern. We'll give you the big plate, but you've got to go to that buffet and fill it yourself. You know, it's a bit like Supermarket Sweep, which is back on TV with Rylan. There, we'll give you the trolley. You go and fill your trolley. Because ultimately responsibility for enjoying education, enjoying university experience, and achieving what you can achieve does ultimately come from the person who's pushing that trolley or carrying that plate. Brilliant, Paddy. And you brought Connor into that conversation, and I'm, I'm going to do the same now. Because I think one of the issues that a lot of students will face is around well-being, mental health. And Connor, is, as someone who's in the deep end, should we say, of studying to, to get the degree that, that he wants, what advice would you give students on how to promote positive mental health and, and well-being? I think it's a really, really important topic. And I'm glad you brought it up. I think particularly in, in this day and age where it's the impact of mental health and that sort of thing is, is everywhere, particularly now in, in university settings. I think first and foremost, you have to look after yourself and there's obviously various ways you can do that and everyone's different. Like for me, it's the way I'd manage my, I say links back to what Paddy said, the work-life balance thing. For me, my my pleasure and how I, how I you know, get out on my bike, that sort of thing, that's how I keep the head fresh so that when I sit down to do some work, you know, I'm feeling a bit like, you know, energised, that sort of thing. So I think obviously exercise is one thing. It might be cliche, but I think, you know, if, if you've got sport clubs and those sort of things at university and you want to be involved in competitive sport, then go ahead and do that. I think it's a great way to, to manage that life-work balance uh, and make sure that you're keeping the, the head sane. I think also making sure you get into routines. I think that's another really important thing, mm. particularly for me. And it kind of links back to what Alex said around assessments, that... It's about balancing the work, the life, and then also just making sure that your routine is set. So if you work better in the evening, do your work in the evening and enjoy your, your free time during the day, just to make sure that, again, your head is switched on and you know when you're gonna go and do some work. Even if that's just an hour, half an hour, if that's 10 minutes reading, whatever. Uh, that's, they're really important things to make sure you've got that routine uh, set in your life uh, and try and stay in that routine. But, but, the, uh, the way I would do it when I was an undergrad, I would personally, I work better in the morning. So I would be up in the morning, do some work. Then I'd go off and do extracurricular activities, whatever, or go to lectures, and that sort of thing. Meet with friends, go and have coffee, whatever, and then come back and do a bit more work in the evening. That's how I made sure I balanced my work life. I think staying connected as well is a really important one. So again, speaking to your friends, making sure you're talking to them it doesn't have to be about work all the time, even after a lecture, once one's just finished, you know, you don't have to go away and write the notes up instantly. I think just making sure you're staying connected with your friends and your family, particularly family. Uh, I think in the case of when going to university, you're often moving away from home, which can be a difficult time. I know I found it for my undergrad degree. I found it quite easy because I was quite close to home for myself. But for my master's degree, I moved to the complete other end of the country. So I didn't see my family for a couple of months. And now, I'm in Northern Ireland now and I'm, and I live, and I'm from Oxford, so I'm even further away from my family and I you know, don't see them for months on end. So making sure that you keep in contact with them by phone calls, Skype, all these various means that we have now. So yeah, staying connected is really important. And I think 
fundamentally, I think if you're struggling with, with your mental health when it comes to your work and you're finding the pressures of university difficult, do not be afraid to take a break. I've taken a break recently from my PhD, a couple of weeks off and just cool down, go and enjoy the rest of your life. Not everything has to be academic 24 seven, but definitely take a break if you feel like you're burnt out or you just need a little bit of a break. And again, I think on top of that, I think lastly, I would say if there are you know, any issues that you have and it's reoccurring, then I'd say seek attention from people who are either medically professionally trained to, to deal with that. And also there's various helplines and that sort of thing at universities now, which you can contact. I know that Ulster, where I have, have got quite a strong presence in that regard. So don't be afraid to reach out if there are any issues with your mental health. But fundamentally, I would say balance that work life. And I think that will see you through quite happily. It certainly has for me. And I prioritise that. I think make it a priority. Your mental health is very important and it impacts the way you work. So prioritise that. Brilliant, Connor. Thanks very much. Now, as well as the, the kind of work-life balance and enjoying your studies and, and promoting good mental health and good habits, enjoying your subject, your university life, at least part of the point of studying for a degree is to graduate and get a job. And for some students, they will have an idea of what field or profession they want to work in. And for others, that may be revealed through their studies. And for students listening to this, I'd encourage you, even in first year, look up adverts for your ideal job or a position that you might aspire to one day and look at the specifications for those roles because it will help you see what you need to do, what skills you need to develop in addition to your degree in order to pursue those roles. And one key term that will often feature on job adverts will be experience. So Dan Parnell, who has probably as broad a range of experiences as anyone here or anyone we know, how should a student approach this? How do you gain experiences that develop and speak to your capacities and build your CV? Cheers, Joel. So I think getting work experience is good for a number of issues that will cut across what we've talked about. But when you go to university, you're kind of expecting them to do a lot for you. But in reality, when you go to university, they provide you with a foundation across a number of different areas, but few will provide you with the relational, social, and hands-on technical skills required for different roles in sport. Of course, you're going to get places that offer placements and voluntary opportunities, but this is so important. You almost can't leave this responsibility to someone else. So you need to take ownership and build your own journey beyond just paying your tuition fees and turning up and working hard and getting the grades that you want. You've got to do a lot more than that. So it should go about saying for many, but your degree is not enough on its own. You join in a very competitive market, not just with your peers, but within challenging industries. So even when I work with leaders in sport, we use this football term about getting your head up. So we, when you get your head up on the game, it's about where your next pass is going or where the tackle's coming from. When you go to university, it's not the, the end point, it's the starting point again to get your head up and think about where you're going to go. I guess the one part of this and what Connor mentions is about your, your connections and being connected. So what being at university does provide you with is a purpose when you go to seek work experience, when you reach out to contacts, but it also gives you access to academics, new friends, new connections who in turn know of new opportunities and new people that you can access, which were otherwise unknown or unaccessible. This gives you the opportunity, what I, I think some of us will crave. So those that are doing research or not, whenever you go to university, you develop yourself as a, as a tool. So when it's your ability then to go out and, and use the things that you know in the field. So you can also then go from learn from your experiences. You'll be able to make sense of your experiences, revisit experiences against the knowledge base that you've learned within university, and then try to synthesize and apply stuff that you know practically and then reflect on whether it works. So to have work experience, it's key. Otherwise, you start. some people will start to challenge why are they there if they can't go and apply it in different aspects of the, the working environment. So where do you start? My advice would be you need to have an idea of the role you're aspiring to do. Of course you do. But that's all well and good. But what happens if you don't know what you're going to do? I still don't know what I want to do. And when I was at university, six months in, I thought I knew exactly what to do. Six months till the end, I still had no clue. 
mm. up and down all the time. One thing I'm really confident, sometimes I'm not too sure. So I don't think you have to be certain. But at some point you need to go, for now, I'm going to aspire to this role and I'm going to get as much experience as I can to get myself equipped for that role. And as you do, you're constantly checking and challenging. Is this the right thing for me? Am I equipped for this? Do I commit to it even more? Or do I reflect and revisit this and do something else? The people I work with who are genuine leaders in football started off cutting the grass, started off as a club mascot, started off as a doing the kits. Others have shifted from professions, moved from teaching, moved from law. So my advice is to follow your passion, get into the role, the industry, the sport, or the club that you are most interested, most passionate about, doesn't matter what level, and then do well. Learn about yourself, about that sport, and be better. So we often say to the people that we work with, how can we be better? And it's a slight challenge to say, look, that's not good enough. But ultimately, we're saying to ourselves, how do we be better at what we do? So it doesn't matter what you do. Constantly think about how you get better at what you do. So get in and be better. Be a better person. Be a better practitioner. Take that into the classroom with your colleagues and your peers and then bring that back into the field wherever you're working. I think for a lot of students, maybe get seduced by the contacts that staff have at universities and they think, oh, I'd love to work at, at that football club or at that, you know, within that industry, whatever it might be. And they may pursue those possibilities. But if you get a work experience placement at a global institution, the impact that you can have on that work placement, however long that might be, will probably be negligible. You'll be making the coffees, you'll be doing the things which aren't unimportant. But what I would say is the lower down the pyramid that you go, the more likely it is that you're going to have more impact. So what I'd also add to what Dan said is, is try and get experiences at different levels of institution that operate across a different spectrum. So you'll get more kind of community engagement or in a football example, perhaps a lower league club and try and get some experience there because you'll probably have more input and more impact to a wider range of departments within that. And then something higher up, which does look good on the CV, where you might meet key personnel that might move on and, and take you with them and things like that, just to, to add to that. Dan, thanks very much for that. We're going to take a step back a little bit and focus on, on relationships, networks, building connections with people now. And at the beginning of every academic year, I set my new first year students a task. So I asked them who they expect to learn the most from during their time at university. And they have to assign proportion as a percentage between three options, fellow students, academic staff, and the wider world. And it's always really interesting to see how different students approaching the same degree can have quite different expectations and philosophies, although they probably wouldn't see this as informed by an approach to or philosophy of education. Students from different parts of the world as well can offer quite different answers in that respect as well. So there are often cultural and experiential and social and personal factors influencing how students might answer that question. But as all new students, we generally agree that we will learn from, contribute to and benefit from our connections with all three, with fellow students, with academic staff and the wider world. So Connor, I'm going to bring you in on, on this I don't know if if I did that task with you at Southampton or not but anyway I think you did I probably did but yeah so what advice would you give a first year student now for getting to know students and staff as well I think within the context of your course uh, I think it's quite easy I think because you're, you're often engaging in in seminars and I think seminars are a fantastic teaching tool because it's a way that we can engage in conversation with others around various topics that are based on, on the course you're doing, but then also the things we're interested in. So I think in seminars, definitely start to build those relationships with the individuals you work with inside that. So your fellow students. And then once those seminars finish, that's where you can you know, build friendships and those sort of things and, and talk more about things you're, you're interested in. I think learning from fellow students is, is so important. I mean, when I did my degree, my undergrad in particular, I found a good group of mates who were all the same as me in terms of they were, we were quite engaged with the academic side of the work. And when you find a good group who you know, kind of have the same ideas as you and the same drive as you, it fuels you to go and not 
I don't think the, the word compete is, is not the right word because we weren't competing against each other. We were helping each other. You know, we, we ended up sharing journal articles with each other that we'd read or you know, notes and book chapters and all this sort of stuff. And that's the way that you develop knowledge with reading with other people as well. I mean, I'm not saying that you should go and copy the next person because that's certainly not what I'm saying. But those relationships you build with your colleagues in terms of from your course can help you you know, beyond anything that any academic scholar could, could offer you because it's that those personal relationships that you really build with your mates that are really important. So those happen as like naturally throughout your course progression that will, that will occur because you're often in and around those people every day. So don't be afraid to ask for help as well, I think, from, from, your, from your peers. In terms of the, the lecturers and how to engage with those, I mean, I, I think over my university career I guess so far I think I've been quite lucky with the scholars and the and the lecturers that I've been able to engage with I think for me the the fundamental thing is don't be afraid to approach them you know they are there to help you and they will not bite I've got some really good friendships now with people like yourself Joel and and others who I worked with when I was an undergrad and it was because I wasn't afraid to knock on their door and sit down and ask some questions get feedback and then you you know then you start to develop little personal things like Joel's a Liverpool supporter so and I'm an Oxford fan so we'd end up talking about lonely players and that sort of stuff just little things like that build those relationships with the scholars that you work with and often those little relationships can lead to opening doors for yourself and for other students. My where my academic interests came from was when a door opened when Joel helped me to uh, present at a conference when I was an undergrad student. So if I wouldn't have had those relationships and, and, and started speaking to, to Joel as a, a lecturer at the time, that door wouldn't have opened for me. So I think it's important that you engage with your lecturers on a personal basis, but also on an academic basis by asking them questions relevant to the course uh, and those sort of things. So I think, again, building the relationships at the open doors is extremely important. I think that's kind of what the, the advice I would offer for, for undergrad students, I think. Good man. So you, you talk about opening doors, and I think that can be a literal and metaphorical in that respect. And one of the other areas that we, as new students, interact with members of staff now is through email. You know, I say now over the last 20 years, but often the first point of communication with a member of staff or, you know, a typical mode of communication won't be knocking on the door. It will be an email. So email etiquette, which is something that staff listening to this will be delighted that we're going to talk about. I haven't pinpointed anyone for this, but would anyone like to share some thoughts on email etiquette and how it should be approached? I brought it up straight away, didn't I? Literally within the first two minutes yeah. of you asking. I mean, students don't often email me still because I'm only a PhD student, but I think as a student who has recently been you know, I email my supervisor all the time and me and him still have, make sure that the etiquette's still there most of the time. I think fundamental when you email a lecturer is make sure that you address them correctly in the first place. You know, if it's doctor such and such, start with that. And then once the relationship develops, like I've just spoke about, that's maybe potentially when you can start using first names and those sorts of things. Don't assume, you know, don't go in by saying hi mate, that sort of thing. I'd say keep it on a professional basis initially. And make sure your email is presented well, you know, make sure the spacing is correct and make sure that you know, your language is appropriate and you know, fonts and all that sort of stuff. I think it is really important because I know for a while when I read emails from, from other people and then they're not, maybe not up to standard, they kind of slip their way down the pecking order of when you're going to reply to them. I think also don't expect to reply instantly. I think, I think many scholars would probably agree with that. Lecturers live busy lives and as much as you are a priority, expect at least a 24-hour window, if not longer. If it's last-minute question about an assessment, don't expect to reply within 10 minutes. I think those sorts of things are really important, but I'm sure you guys would be able to offer more insights on that as you're the scholars on the other end of the emails. <laughs> not me. Well, I think one key thing you said there is how you refer to members of the staff. I mean, I remember telling you, Solon, if you, if you refer to me as staff then Rookwood, I'll, I'll, I'll ignore you. So I was first name basis. Now, that's not to disrespect anyone else who liked to be referred to by the title. And some people will insist on or like to be Dr. This or Professor That. I think the important thing is to work people out as individuals and to approach them on that basis rather than just saying, I am mate. Because if, if a student says hello, mate, to me, I'm like, oh, hello, mate, or whatever. So I, I would probably prefer that. But again, it's about working 
within the culture of the environment that you're in. Okay, if we consider the, the relevance of the wider world, which is the third of the three aspects I mentioned earlier, I mean, we're all connected in, in an intricate web of football scholars through the Football Collective. So as the former chair of that body, Dan, what are networks and why are they important? And then in answering that, perhaps, if you could offer some thoughts on how they're relevant to first-year students. Yeah, no problem. Every student I speak to, I talk about their relationship and their communication skills are being critical for them to be an effective contributor to any organisation and any industry. If I took this back, and, and Pete will be with me on this and the other guys in the room, is Charles Tilley's got a quote from 1982 where he describes how people's connections impact their actions. And he talks about investors getting tips from tennis partners, business being done on the golf course, people employing family and friends, and who we know influences what we do. So whether that's impressing us, gaining respect from us, or enjoying a friendship. And this has an impact on our behavior and things that we do. So if there's an abundance of evidence around our relationships and our connections, we know it's really important. Yeah, it's really important to have our degree, to know what we're doing and being good at what we do. But it's also really important to develop that network of people that can be important to us, that can help us, that and that can help us progress and be successful. So what Connor talked about there, about people being around him who have the same experiences and being able to support one each other, have probably having lots of trust and being similar. That's amazing because we need that to grow and, and develop. But I'm quite interested in, um, maybe use this in WhatsApp terms. I've got loads of WhatsApp groups with different groups of friends that share the same jokes, the same memes, the same videos, the same bits of news. And I'm dead interested in, who are the people in the room that are going to send me something different on WhatsApp? Who are the people that are a little bit different to me, a little bit strange? They might be a little bit aggressive, might not want to work with people. And I mean, there's some recent research that these aggressive people might not be aggressive. They just come across that way and they haven't got the social skills, but they've got really good craft knowledge and they can be really important to organizations to help people get on. So how do you work with them? How do you get them? in your circle how would you help support them and how would you gain from them so you know to get new ideas experience ways of thinking innovation job opportunities learn new ways of doing things it comes from new people and new connections and it might be me connecting with you joel and it might not mean it's not just learning from you but it might be me learning from people within your network that i just don't know yet so if we think about it in network terms our relationships become a key part of what we're doing. So from that first day, I remember them telling me on my first day at uni is that one day there'll be people in the room that will sit on across the table from you and you'll be looking to employ them or you'll be facing them. And that is exactly what happened. We end up looking for jobs from people that we know and also looking for people to come and join our organization from people that we know too. So straight away, you've, you know, it, it links back to how we manage our impression, how we build our relationships, what experiences we get. These networks, these relationships we build couldn't be more important. And that is not just for learning about new things and getting opportunities, but it's also for how people view you. And these opportunities will impact how successful you are. And from Connor, people sharing journals that you may not have seen, it may be for how people view and talk about you to their peers. All these things are so important that I think it's not necessarily networking and just building more and more contacts. It's about picking strategic and important relationships and investing in that. And so many things that goes into building relationships probably beyond the scope of this, but as long as we know it's important, that means we need to understand it a little bit more, give it a bit more time, invest more effort in how you develop these relationships to support what you want to achieve. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Dan. Um, the penultimate section we're going to focus on connects with that, uh, which is social media. Now, you all use social media. I mean, for a start, you're all on Twitter. But perhaps Alex or Paddy or both of you could just answer this briefly. What are the pitfalls of social media? What are the benefits? What are the risks? And how would you advise first-year students to approach it? Go ahead, Alex. Okay. I think social media is, like you say, it's really a way of connecting us and, and, and it's really important, especially in the, in the social environment. And then secondly, 
trying to grow our network and all of them things. And I think we're talking about building relationships and having them interpersonal relationships. And I think, Joel, what you've said is really important that we need to be conscious of how we use it. And it can be quite dangerous in terms of how much time we dedicate to social media. What are we allowing into our, into our social media sphere? Like, what are we taking in? What are we embodying? What are we then acting out? What are we understanding? And really, I think social media for me is one way of connecting me to the wider world, but also connecting my ideas to the wider world. And I think whilst that's super important, I'm always conscious in the back of my mind about connecting with or, you know, following people on Twitter that give me a diverse opinion. So I support Labour, I support Liverpool Football Club. But I, I follow Evertonians and I follow, you know, conservative politicians because I want to have that really wide spectrum of what I'm taking in. And actually what I take in then really means what I then give out to the rest of the world. And I think that that's super important for us to just be conscious of it, especially, you know, as 18 year olds or however old you are when you start your undergrad, you want to make relationships, you want to really get involved with people and just being conscious of of the pitfalls of social media so you know there's people out there on social media now that are just trolls really if we want to call them that and are quite keen to just whatever anyone says just be quite aggressive quite offensive and all of that can really impact our, our mental health so i think being conscious of of what we take in and what we give out is really important what connor said before knowing really where we can turn to if you're feeling isolated and social media is your way of interacting that can also be quite dangerous i mean that sounds like you know quite a serious way to use but it can be so knowing the wider networks knowing where this you know what school you're in at the university what services they can offer if you find yourself really engaged with social media more than you should be i mean there's not really a time constraint that you can put on it but you know when i've been on social media i think everyone will agree you find yourself just scrolling on absolute rubbish and then an hour's gone of your life and you're like what what am i doing here and i think just being conscious of that time that you spend on social media, who you follow, who you interact with, and knowing that really you can switch it off at any time. You don't have to engage on social media. You don't have to have an Instagram account. You don't have to have Twitter. Yes, it helps us build relationships and, and see see things that maybe we wouldn't see and, and things that we're interested in. But yeah, I think just being conscious of it and knowing the pressures that exist within it would be really the advice that I, I would give. Brilliant, Alex. And you cover a, a range of things there that are important, being, being kind of being aware of the amount of time you're spending on it. You mentioned trolls as well. I saw a really good video by Sash Baron Cohen recently, and a key take-home message from that it was that freedom of speech should not mean freedom of reach. Yeah. Are there anything to add? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with everything Alex has said. I've learned so much. Me and Alex have known one another for about six or seven months now, probably, and I've learned so much from her, like, you know, universal basic income was something I hadn't thought about and because we've had these conversations on football collective zooms and whatnot and we're on we've got a whatsapp group now as well is that I have genuinely learned genuinely learned a lot from everyone who's on this call and these are people with the exception of yourself Jay and a, and a bit like I knew Pete a bit I didn't know anybody here two years ago it's social media has facilitated those kinds of relationships but it's the relationships that we have forged on Skype or on zooms or whatever it is at conferences I've made my work more meaningful and it's also given me you know i've moved away from media studies and talking about political communication online i.e irish republicans to thinking about how the principles i learned there can be applied to groups of people who are less homogenous like football fans a group of people and i learned through the nuance that i get by following the people on this call you know dan and paul widop and people like that are brilliant talking about the role of networks play within football and that network theory plays into my work. So I think ultimately, and Joel, we've had a conversation about this recently. You know, I think there's a difference between the kind of performativity of modern social media and using it as a place to listen. So I think things like Instagram, particularly TikTok, value the outward going, the vacuous, the let's do something stupid. One of my students told me this year that she's TikTok famous. I had no idea what that was. It just made me feel even older than I am, like, you know. And apparently she's TikTok famous because she teaches people how to make bowls of pasta. Now, I don't know how stupid people are, but making a bowl of pasta hasn't usually been a difficult thing to learn from me, given the fact that there's YouTube there anyway. But I think the point is, it's an old man making a vacuous point about the idea of not constantly being on broadcast and actually see social media about being somewhere else you can go to listen. So... 
also like things like Instagram can be used really well for research. If you go to my Instagram or my Flickr, it's filled full of stickers of football fan ultras. So anywhere I go in the world, whether it's in France or across Ireland or Britain or into mainland Europe, if I see like a sticker from an ultras group on a, on a lamppost, I take a picture of it and it goes up onto my Instagram. Not because I'm particularly interested in anyone seeing my Instagram. It's just that it's there in perpetuity for me to go back to it. So they are, they are primarily networking tools which can be integrated into you gathering your own research. It's just that you don't constantly have to broadcast. So think, think about social media as somewhere where you go to listen and you choose the accounts to follow to broaden and enrich in your own scholarship because that's possible too. Yeah, it's getting that relationship and that ratio right between the production and the consumption, isn't it, with, with so many of these things. Thanks, thanks everyone for all that. The final thing I'm going to ask you, and I'll probably say perhaps keep this quite brief as we come towards a close, is what piece of advice would you give a first year embarking on a degree this month? So I'll ask you all the question and... It'll be Connor, then Alex, then Pete, then Dan, then Paddy. So, Connor, beginning with you, mate. I think the first thing is to see the whole process as a journey. I think, like for me, I started with a, with a purpose of where I thought I wanted to end up at the end of my degree. And I think, ironically, I ended up in a completely different place. So, I think following the journey, being able to embrace new things that you're going to learn and don't be afraid to try new things, I think, is, is kind of my main take away because you never know where it might lead uh, and in my case it's led to somewhere completely different but I'm I'm certainly happy where I am at the moment so don't be afraid to go down to new avenues I think that's one thing I would I would suggest okay thanks please Alex yeah in the thought of keeping it brief I think for me I'd be mindful of being flexible so knowing that things will change be keen to build relationships know that people are important to enrich your life and finally just enjoy the process know that it is a process and whatever the outcome life doesn't start and end with a degree you can go and do another degree you can you know continue your education alternatively you might hate your degree but whatever it is just understand and know that it's a process and want to be enjoyed peace by the risk of repetition just enjoy it i mean going to university is a real privilege university changed the way in which i thought about myself thought about others thought about the whole world around us Open your ears, open your eyes, respect others and just be prepared to listen and learn. Brilliant. Done. Okay, four things, but really quickly. Have, have your game face. Don't bother unless you're going to properly bother. Go and give it everything. Sleep. Sleep well. Sleep often, whenever you need it. Be yourself. People will get onto it if you're being inauthentic. Obviously, balance it, but be yourself. And finally, build relationships and work hard at it. It's tough, but work hard at it. Fantastic. I'm finally Paddy. I've just written it down there. Just be passionate, be generous, be humble. Love what you do. If you don't love what you do, you might not, you should not be doing it, maybe. Be generous. People remember whenever you say, well done, thanks, thanks, kid. You lend them a book, as Connor talked about, or give them a journal article, or you give them a helping hand. If you're living in holes, you might give them a cup of sugar, like it's the Second World War with me, or, or whatever. You lend them a tenner to go out for a pint or something. And be humble. There are people there who know more than you. They aren't lording it over you. They just happen to be in that position through age or through a different range of circumstances. Be open to say, I didn't know that. And God, that's great that I do know it. So I'd say be passionate, be generous and be humble. Fantastic. And if you allow me to indulge, I'm going to try and answer this question myself. So I would say you want to leave everything on the field. You know, you want to graduate knowing that you've given your all, that you've enjoyed it, as Paddy said, that you've got the most out of it. And opportunities that, that come your way, they often have expiration dates. So pursue and take opportunities while you can. You know, build your skills, your networks that Dan's talked about, your capacity, your experiences, and, and aim for a degree and a job at the end that will enable you to find and live out your purpose. And that's the key word that I want to focus on. The Japanese have a term, ikigai, which is probably pronounced wrongly. And that means the reason for being. Now, if you look up that online, you might find an associated Venn diagram okay, that references four key elements. What you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. So if you combine what you love with what you're good at, therein lies passion. 
If you connect what you love with what the whale needs, you found your mission. Combine what the whale needs with what you can be paid for. That's your vocation. And connect what you can be paid for with what you're good at. That's your profession. But connect all for what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And you could experience or realize all four connections. Passion, mission, vocation, profession. And therein lies your ikigai, your reason for being, your purpose. Now, normally I tell my first year students approaching their first assignments to write out the question they've been set in big letters and put it next to the work, to remind them that everything they write should help them answer that question. It sharpens the focus. Now, maybe a first year will have no idea what their purpose is or will be, but some will. So for now, try to guess, try to figure out what it is. You've all been on the planet at least 18 years, so write out what you think your purpose is right now. Put it on the wall, amend it as and when it's necessary, and try to live your life in pursuit of that purpose, starting now. So thanks very much to Connor, Alex, Pete, Dan, and Paddy for joining us, and of course for your insights. And I hope whether you're a student or a member of faculty, it's given you some food for thought. Have a good day, everyone.